Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Rain and lots of it. Northern California has been inundated with storm after storm since the new year. While yes, we've been in drought and desperately need that water, so much of it at one time causes problems. The last round of New Year's Eve storms saturated the soil in many areas. Now there are downed trees and power lines all across the Bay Area and neighborhoods. The latest in a growing series of rough weather systems to pass through the Bay Area brought not only strong winds and rain, but thunderstorms and even hail early. View of Saturday's storm that brought historic rain to San Francisco and turned streets into rushing rivers. Lots of cities were dealing with heavy flooding during the storms, including San Francisco. Now, all that water got us thinking about some of your water questions from over the years. Where does all the water go when it rains? Are there really underground rivers in San Francisco? What happens to the ground squirrels when it rains? Do they die? I'm Olivia Allen Price. We'll dive into those answers just ahead on Bay Curious. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hi there. I'm Randa Adelfattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. I'm joined this week by producer Amanda Font. Hey, Amanda. Hi, Olivia. So we've got three questions you're going to help us answer about water. The first question came from a listener named Eric Bauer. So when it rains in the Bay Area, does the where does the rainwater go? Does it go directly into the Bay? 
So the answer to that question depends on where you are. But for most of the Bay Area, Oakland, Santa Rosa, San Jose, Livermore, Dublin, San Mateo, San Rafael, and many more cities, stormwater goes into drains that you'd see on your street and then flows directly into creeks that lead to the Bay. There is an exception to that, and it is San Francisco. San Francisco's sewer system is unique in one respect. It doesn't have separate lines for sewage and storm runoff. It's what's called a combined sewer system. And aside from a small section of Old Sacramento, San Francisco is the only city in California built this way, partly because the system was built so long ago. San Francisco really started, right, the gold rush in 1849. So San Francisco was the largest California city back then. It was bigger than Los Angeles. So by, I believe, 1860, we have 150 miles of brick sewers that went to the bay. There was no treatment, so they simply went to the bay. This is George Engel, the operations manager for San Francisco's sewer system. He runs the plants. Of course, now we do have sewage treatment. George says the combined system is a bonus for the environment because the oil, chemicals, and other nasty substances that get washed from city streets are also being treated. Okay, so when water flows into those drains in the gutter, where is it going? So imagine you're a raindrop falling somewhere in this hilly city. So if you're looking towards the bay and you're a drop of water, you're going to drain towards that bay somehow. You'll eventually reach our pipeline system and get conveyed to the southeast plant on the east side of town. If you're facing the ocean, you'll drain down towards the Great Highway, all down to our Oceanside plant on that side of town. And then in wet weather, the North Point facility out by Pier 39 on Kearney and Bay Street also treats wet weather flows. Once the water is in one of those plants, it's processed, treated, and then released through one of three large pipelines. From the Oceanside plant, it discharges outside of the state of California through a 12-foot diameter pipe under the ocean, over three nautical miles offshore. It's a four-and-a-half-mile pipeline that takes it far from the beaches of Ocean Beach. The other two lead out into the bay. Now, usually the runoff going into that system is from things like people washing their cars, sprinklers, rain when we get it. But what about when there's a big storm? So normally San Francisco's combined system can handle a lot. On a rainy day, they can collect and treat up to 500 million gallons of sewage plus wastewater. They also have storage tanks that can hold up to 200 million gallons of excess water that can be processed when there's more capacity. But really, big storms are the kryptonite of this system. On a day like the most recent New Year's Eve, when 5.46 inches of rain fell on the city, I did some math, and that means almost 4.5 billion gallons fell on San Francisco in one day. That massive volume of water pushed the city's system over the brink. It just could not absorb it fast enough, leading to rivers in the street and sewage backing up in some flooded areas. So it really takes a larger storm. So, I mean, water can't get into a pipe if the pipe's already full, right? Once the rain subsides, the system is usually able to absorb that water from the flooded areas. But if there's way, way too much, it goes into these overflow tanks, and some of it has to be released without full treatment, though they do remove the solids. Again, that only happens during huge storms, and to be fair, San Francisco is not the only city that had these kinds of overflows. East Bay Mud, which has separate systems, had rainwater get into their sewage pipes through cracks or other access points that led to discharges of raw sewage into the bay. Not ideal in the least. 
No, but there is some planning underway on how to prevent this as climate change makes these wild storms more common. There's this concept of green infrastructure, where we'd create more ways to keep water away from the sewer system altogether. Collecting it in cisterns that can be used for irrigation during drier months, or just removing concrete in favor of plants so it can absorb into the ground. So on to our next question. It comes from a listener named Norm, who has heard an often repeated story about San Francisco, that it has some secret underground rivers. This came up a couple years ago when the SFMTA said construction of the central subway was delayed in part because they hit an underground river. Amanda, are there actually flowing creeks underground in the city? I found the idea mentioned in a couple of places and at least one person on Twitter suggesting that maybe these underground rivers helped contribute to the flooding we saw in January. But it's time to do a little myth busting here. My main task seems to be correcting that misimpression. This is Joel Pomerantz. He's a writer and natural history educator in San Francisco. He also knows a lot about the city's historic waterways. And he says this idea about creeks running under people's houses or under the streets is a misnomer. By definition, a creek or river is free-flowing water that follows a channel, like a creek bed, either on the surface or in an underground cave. We don't have, we don't have caves underground for creeks to flow through other than the sewer. Um, So really the misimpression that there's an old creek here and it's still down there somewhere is not accurate. But, Joel says, it is accurate that some areas of the city where there used to be creeks, like the Mission, are more prone to flooding. Okay, well, this is the reveal. I know that I can impress you with A shower curtain version of my map. A few years ago, he compiled a detailed map of areas where creeks and water had historically run in San Francisco. So actually, I'm going to rotate it so that it north faces north. When we met, he brought along a large version of his map, which he named Seep City, that had been beautifully printed onto a shower curtain. So all all the dark blue lines are things that have been filled in? Not only that, the... uh, The areas at the edge of the city where there are bays, those have also all been filled in. And people talk about that sometimes because they're building on those areas and it causes trouble, especially in Mission Bay right now. So it's not a secret that a lot of San Francisco is built on fill. A couple of years ago, we did a story about how to figure out if your home is built on that. But I guess when I think about that, I think mostly about the edges of the city. You're saying it was more than just the bays that were filled in. A lot more because all the creeks and all the marshes, too, were filled in. And that can contribute somewhat to flooding because of seepage. Imagine watering a potted plant, and you wait a few seconds, and the excess water comes dripping out of the bottom. San Francisco's soil works just like that. When the higher elevation areas get rained on, a lot of the water is going to seep down to lower-lying areas, which are also the parts of the city that used to have creeks and marshes. And when those areas become super saturated during a storm, or if you, say, carve a huge subway tunnel underground where there's pressure on all that groundwater, it may start leaking out. There's a division between runoff, which is water that's flowing on the surface to the low places, and groundwater, which is below the surface, also flowing to the low places. Plus, it's still raining. The combination is what causes the flooding. 
So, no on the underground rivers, but the reason some neighborhoods flood over and over is that they're in the path of where the creeks used to run because the topography of the land moves the water that way. And if you're a bicyclist, especially like I am, you notice the shape of the land because you're avoiding the hills. That's what the water does. I was surprised to learn that a large part of the mission was marshland at one time. Joel and I met at Mission Playground, a few blocks from Dolores Park, because that area has an interesting hydrological history. There was a creek that ran from Twin Peaks, nearly down the center of what is now 18th Street, and cut through the northern corner of what is now Dolores Park. That creek fed into what people now refer to as Mission Creek, but was actually an estuary where fresh water mixes with salt water from the bay. The location where we are now is approximately here on the edge of the marsh. So this is a really rich ecological area of the city. Interesting. It's hard to imagine walking through a marsh right in the middle of the mission. Are there any creeks left in San Francisco these days? Yeah, there are a few, though they're small and somewhat hidden. El Polin Spring in the Presidio runs through a beautiful area where there's an opportunity to see wildlife. And over near Land's End, if you walk behind the empty shell of Louis's restaurant on the path that curves down to Sutro Baths, you cross a spot where there's some willow trees on your right, and if you stop and listen, you can hear the creek, the springs, flowing into a culvert right there. You know, Joel was careful to point out that the map he created was really a moment frozen in time. Water flows frequently change, even without human intervention. There's no such thing as how water used to be or the original version of San Francisco water. There's always change and it changes a lot during storms. So recently, we've probably had some significant changes to landscape in California because of these storms. Same thing over the eons. So we have one final question in our lightning round. Here's Bay Curious listener Emily Robertson. So after all of the rain and all of the flooding as of late, I became curious about what happens to the ground squirrels during these times. I think they're adorable. And I'm, I was like worried about them during the floods. I imagine all of their burrows and holes get filled up. I've wondered the same thing. There's a ton of chunky little ground squirrels in the parks near my house, and they are super cute. And these aren't the bushy-tailed squirrels that you see in trees. They're sort of a sandy brown color with shorter fur on their tails. And as their name suggests, they burrow underground. Well, I got in touch with someone who has spent years studying these animals, Dr. Jen Smith. I am a professor of biology. I'm a behavioral ecologist, and I specialize in squirrel behavior. Until about a year ago, Jen was teaching at Mills College in Oakland, and even now is still working on a long-term study of California ground squirrels in Briones Regional Park in Martinez. We live trap individuals. We put marks on their backs so we can study their behavior. The study has been able to collect good information about what their burrows look like. And I'll tell you right now, Olivia, because I know you're worried. I really am. This is a family program. The squirrels are not drowning when it floods. Whew. They're really, really good architects. And part of the design of the buildings that they construct underground is to have horizontal rather than vertical burrows. And the horizontal nature of the underground structure 
is quite resistant to rainfall. They build these complex, multi-level homes. When you see a ground squirrel dart into the entrance of their burrow, it might look like a hole that goes straight down. But it actually spreads out. And the way that they construct that is just having all of these little shoots that go off in various directions. They can store seed in some areas, have babies in other areas. And so the rainfall really doesn't accumulate within their burrows. Interesting. I'm relieved, but not terribly surprised. Animals are just so smart. They really are. They are storm ready and prepared to adapt. They have backup plans, if you will, where if one floor of the building structure is flooded or becomes wet, they can adapt by increasing the area inside of that burrow and be insulated. And the burrows are quite protective when everyone else is experiencing these tremendous rainstorms above ground. They're actually so good at building these burrows, they can even fend off unnatural flooding. Some people who consider ground squirrels to be pests have been known to stick a hose in the burrow and try to drown them. But observations show the squirrels persevere. The squirrels are very, very faithful to their home. They've invested a lot. They've constructed it. They'll usually stay. So we know from those types of studies that that's not a very effective method. Jen says the burrows that ground squirrels build are so well constructed that they'll pass the home down through generations of family members. Even the ground squirrels have to rely on generational wealth to make it here. Amanda Font, thank you so much for reporting on all of these stories. My pleasure, Olivia. While we were working on that last story, I tweeted asking if any of you had questions for a squirrel expert, and so many of you did, we actually decided we'll do a whole episode about squirrels in the Bay Area. So look out for that in the future. If you want to get a question in about squirrels, send it my way on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at Price, or hit us up at baycurious.org. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. Our show's produced by Olivia Allen Price, Amanda Font, and Brendan Willard. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you, whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks.